2: Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, June 1st, 2023. Today, Lordy, there are tapes. Jack Smith has Trump on audio, admitting that he took classified documents. Special counsel is also investigating the firing of election security expert Chris Krebs. Prosecutors are also asking questions about the guy who helped Walt Nauda move boxes of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And the document that the House Republicans have been trying to get from the FBI came from Rudy Giuliani. Tommy Tuberville's brother is distancing himself from the senator. The House is poised to pass the debt ceiling bill. Ashley Babbitt's mother was arrested for assaulting a woman during a January 6th protest. And Vivek Ramaswamy consultants have registered as foreign agents for Saudi Arabia. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Holy majoli, the news just kept coming. There's even more stories coming out now about this tape that Jack Smith has of Donald Trump at Bedminster, and we'll talk about that in a second. But now we've got confirmation from the New York Times and they've added some details. And then another New York Times story broke that isn't even covered today. Uh, but we'll go over that on the Jack podcast uh, uh, about um, the the guy, the IT guy that Walt Nada's friend called and asked about how long surveillance footage is kept and stored and stuff like that. It's all like so much news is coming out this afternoon. It's just me today. Dana is out until Tuesday. I also have a new video up on TikTok about this smoke and gun revelation about the Jack Smith documents case. Later in the show, we're going to go over the good news. If you have any good news to send, you can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And a quick hit here, that FBI document that Jim Comer and Jim Jordan have been threatening to hold Christopher Ray in contempt over because he won't hand it over came from Rudy Giuliani. He got it from the corrupt, you like... Russo-backed Ukrainians when he was over there trying to fabricate dirt on, on Hunter Biden and trying to get them to open an investigation into Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and Burisma. It's it's from Rudy. Rudy gave a tip to the FBI. The FBI wrote it down. They decided it was stupid and didn't go anywhere with it. In fact, they investigated him for what he did in Ukraine And now Comer and Jordan, who've been like, we have this informant to a whistleblower. We're having trouble locating him. Oh, my gosh. And then we have this other informant who's, you know, we have a tip from the FBI. It's an unclassified document and the FBI won't hand it over. And we kept saying, look, it's part of an ongoing investigation. They don't hand stuff over. It's fucking Rudy. It's just such a joke. They've had it the whole time since 2020. Anyway, I can't stop laughing. And Pete Strzok and I will discuss that on the next Cleanup on Isle 45 podcast. But I just, I, seriously, I'm dead. I can't stop laughing at that. It's Rudy. Who gives a shit? <laughs> oh. oh, the days we live in. I don't even know how to explain like what went down today. It's just, it's absolutely bananas. All right, we have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up, absolutely devastating news for Donald Trump. Absolutely. Game over. Game over, man. Whose main defense in the classified documents case is that he didn't take classified material? And even if he did, he declassified it with, I can do it with my mind. Whose defense is that? It's Donald Trump's defense. Well, now from Polance, Collins and Gangel at CNN, they say federal prosecutors have obtained an audio recording of a summer 2021 meeting in which the former guy acknowledges he held on to classified Pentagon document, at least one, about a potential attack on Iran. That's according to multiple sources who spoke to CNN. And that undercuts his argument that he declassified everything. They go on to say the recording indicates Trump understood he retained classified material after leaving the White House. And on the recording, his comments suggest he would like to share the information and you can hear him waving it around. You can hear the paper rustling in the background. But I can't I, I can't I can't declassify this. I've left office. He's aware of the limitations on his ability post-presidency to declassify records. It's according to two sources. Now, more information is coming out about this meeting, including who recorded the conversation. And it is one of Trump's aides who has been brought in front of the grand jury and has had her recordings confiscated or imaged, I should say, copied and then handed back to her. And we're going to talk about all that in detail, but this is just, you know, I can't think of, uh, I mean, that, that was his defense, right? And, and Andy and I talk about on the Jack podcast, like the evidence to build the case is done. And then at the end, what you do is you gather up evidence that would help beat back a defense. And his main defenses are, I declassified everything. I can do it with my mind. If I just me taking it away, makes it declassified automatically, but now we know on May 24th, Jack Smith got a bunch of documents from the National Archives showing that Donald knew the declassification processes. And now we have him on audio tape saying, look, I have this classified document. And uh, I, I could show I would show it to you, but it's classified and I can't declassify it now that I'm not the president. Wow. That just rips through all of his defenses. That's, that's it. There's nothing left. And this gets into espionage territory, right? Title 18, U.S. Code 793. E, we were specifically talking about just retention of classified documents. And that's what this is under the Espionage Act. Not to mention all the other obstruction that went on with moving documents around and, you know, and talking about how to defy the subpoena or to keep classified information and Telling his lawyers where not to look when responding to the May 11 subpoena. It's just uh, the indictment when it comes out is going to be very, very interesting. And Hugo Lowell brought up that this particular document, by the way, here's what happened with this document Donald Trump, okay, so remember when Iran fired a bunch of missiles into Iraq, like near one of our bases, and it was near some of our personnel. And none of, no, we didn't lose any personnel in that attack. 50, 52 missiles, I think, 52 strikes. And we did get some service members that ended up with TBI, traumatic brain injury, because of this attack. And Trump was like, well, I wanna send 52 missiles back to very specific places. And Millie said, no, we're not gonna, no, that's way too escalatory for this kind of a, a situation. We're not gonna do that. And Trump ordered Milley to put together a document of this attack that he wanted to to do, you know, to to attack Iran. And so Milley, under orders of the commander-in-chief, put together the document he wanted to see. And then Trump had that document and waved it around as though Millie was the warmonger. Look, Millie wanted to attack Iran and I stopped it from happening. And apparently this is the document that he had at Bedminster in the summer of twenty twenty-one. After he left office and there was a couple people there writing Mark Meadows's autobiography and this aide that was recording the meeting and Trump waved the document around and, and said, look, it's classified, though. I can't show you because nobody in the room had clearance. And I can't declassify these now. I'm not the president anymore, but I have it. Millie is a warmonger, not me. People are laughing in the background. So this is uh, absolutely stunning. We're going to go over this on the next Jack podcast with Andy in depth. And in other special counsel news from The Times, special counsel investigating Trump and his efforts to cling to power has subpoenaed staff members from the Trump White House who may have been involved in firing the government cybersecurity official whose agency said the election was the most secure in American history. The team led by special counsel Jack Smith has been asking witnesses about the events surrounding the firing of Chris Krabs. That was the Trump administration's top cybersecurity official during the 2020 election. Krebs' assessment that the election was secure was at odds with Trump's baseless assertions that there was fraud on the American public, voter fraud. And they went out of their way to fire him. Smith's team is also seeking information about how White House officials, including in the presidential personnel office, approached the Justice Department, which Trump turned to after his election loss as a way to stay in power. Now, Presidential Personnel Office, you know who that is? That's Johnny McEntee. That's that Smirnoff Ice fuckboy. That's that guy. He's at the center of this. He also worked on helping fire Secretary of Defense Mark Esper because Mark Esper was not amenable to invoking the Insurrection Act ahead of January 6th. So they replaced him with Christopher Miller. I imagine if Trump had actually gotten his way and gone to the Capitol himself, he might have tried to invoke the Insurrection Act through Christopher Miller, who also put out that memo that said, all right, no, we're going to go easy on the cops. We're going to not have too many. You can't send out the National Guard without my express permission. Uh, You got to go through the secretary of the army. That's the one where, you know, Mike Flynn's brother was on the call. So all this stuff is going to come out. But Chris Krebs was like, this is the most secure election ever. Trump hated that and, and got Johnny McEntee to write up a list of reasons to fire him. And McEntee is one of the eight people who was forced to come back in and testify a second time because they had invoked executive privilege the first time and a judge determined you don't have any executive privilege. Now come back. There were eight people and there are three who, who have yet to come back in and McEntee is one of them, which makes me think maybe he's a target now. With all this going on, maybe he uh, is refusing to flip. I don't know. But it's him and Meadows and O'Brien that we know of. I mean, they may have been able to sneak in or do something virtually. But those are the three that have not, at least according to public reporting, come back in to testify after being ordered to saying you don't have any executive privilege here. Because Trump's it was Trump who tried to invoke the executive privilege, not these people. And Judge Beryl Howe was like, no, 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 sorry. And then Judge Bosberg took over for Hal as, you know, chief chief of the of the district court and and said, no, also, no, you must come back and testify. So this is like we're at the very end stages here. And also from the post, the Washington Post, a Mar-a-Lago employee who helped move boxes of documents last June has been questioned about his conduct weeks later related to a government demand for surveillance footage. And New York Times has piggybacked on this story. They've given the guy's name. We'll talk about that on Jack. But apparently this kid who helped Walt not move boxes, remember at first it was like, I was just walking by and he was moving some heavy stuff. So I just offered to help. Totally innocent. I didn't ask what was in the boxes. Well, in July, that fucking guy called an IT guy at Mar-a-Lago and asked him all sorts of questions like, well, where are these cameras at? Are they on 24-7? How long do you store the footage for? And he made that call after the surveillance footage was subpoenaed. So, holy shit. Oh, and by the way, the IT guy that this kid called has testified before the grand jury in the documents case. Now, this this kid told investigators that the conversation was innocent. He wasn't trying to hide anything. He didn't know at the time about the investigation or the subpoena. But Jack Smith is skeptical. Again, Andy and I will go over all this. This is all Jack Smith stuff. I know, I, I know I'm supposed to only do it on the jackpot, but this is such important news. I, I, you know, we got to put it on the beans. Next up, the brother of U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville, who I'm in a fight with because he wants to get rid of the policy I helped enact where we pay for travel and leave for people who need abortion care that are stationed in states that have banned abortion. Anyway, his brother says he's compelled to distance himself from some of Tommy Tuberville's recent statements. Quote, due to recent statements by him promoting racial stereotypes, white nationalism, and other various controversial topics, I feel compelled to distance myself from his ignorant, hateful rants. That's Charles Tuberville in a Facebook post last week. Quote, what I'm trying to say is I do not agree with any of the vile rhetoric coming out of his mouth. Please don't confuse my brother with me. Thanks, Charles. In an interview with WBHM in Birmingham, Alabama, when asked if he believed white nationalists should be allowed to serve in the military, Tuberville said, they call him that, I call him Americans. During a 90-minute interview last week with Donald Trump Jr. on his show, Triggered, Tuberville said of teachers in the inner city, I don't know whether they can even read and write. Tuberville's office later said he was referring specifically to schools in the Baltimore area. Oh, because that just, oh, well then, okay. And that, quote, as a coach and mentor unlocking opportunity for young people for 40 years, he watched and marked decline in our education system and found it deeply alarming. Tuberville's also been criticized in recent months for placing a hold on promotions and reassignments of 200 or so military officers in response to the Defense Department policy to cover travel expenses and paid leave for military personnel who travel for abortion care. Thank you, that was me. I helped do that. Fuck you, Tommy. The policy would fund those expenses for personnel stationed in states such as Alabama, where abortion is restricted or totally banned. Tuberville has said he objects because Congress didn't approve the use of taxpayer money. Fuck off. According to his website, Tuberville is a singer- This is Charles Tuberville. He's a singer, songwriter, guitar player based in Tulsa who's been part of its music scene since the 70s. And over his career, he's played with Leon Russell, Freddie King, Bobby Keys, Johnny Winter, Dalbert McClinton, Jimmy Vivino, Kenny Neal, B.B. King. So he's like, no, my brother's an asshole. Don't confuse us, thanks. Next up from Politico, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's running for president. He fired one of the firms consulting him for president after it was revealed that the firm had simultaneously been doing public relations work for a Saudi-backed entity. Now, uh, Goodwin, the firm led by longtime political operatives Gail Gitcho and Henry Goodwin, registered retroactively on May 25th as foreign agents for the Saudi-funded Live Golf League. The firm revealed that it drafted marketing materials, conducted media training for players, advised the Golf League on its corporate social responsibility strategy. That's all according to a new Foreign Agents Registration Act filing. An April memo sent out by his campaign CEO described both Kicho and Goodwin as, quote, senior advisors to the candidate. But after Politico published the details of the firm's work with Live Golf, campaign spokesperson Tricia McLaughlin sought to downplay the strategist's role with the campaign. Oh, well, they're senior advisors, but no, 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 they're just coffee people. Later, she said the campaign was no longer working with them, effective immediately. We became aware of this, When uh, the press made us aware, that's what McLaughlin said in a text. The relationship with the campaign wasn't the only one to end for Goodwin. A lawyer who advised the firm on its decision to register as a foreign agent told Politico that Goodwin had parted ways with the golf league as of Monday morning and that the firm would take the appropriate steps to terminate its Farah registration. Quote, we registered with Farah as working for Live Golf because it was the right thing to do under the law. If Vivek Ramaswamy wants to fire us for that, that's up to him we wish him the best. That's what Goodwin said in a statement. It's not uncommon for foreign entities to seek out politically connected consultants to navigate U.S. regulations and politics. Their registration on behalf of Liv marked a stark overlap of foreign lobbying and a presidential campaign in which the state of U.S.-Saudi relations is likely to be a topic of debate, will you think? <laughs> it was two days after the firm struck an oral agreement to work for Liv, according to the DOJ, that it was first reported that Getcho and Goodwin were signing on to be Ramazwamy's advisors. Since March, Goodwin reported bringing in more than $167,000 in reimbursements and fees for its work on the Live Golf Tournament. Officials with ties to foreign interests have served on campaigns before. The hiring of Goodwin represented just the latest attempt by Live Golf to make major inroads in politics, particularly with the Republican side. Uh, Really only with the Republican side. It teamed up with Donald Trump for events at his golf clubs including one this past week, which the former president attended. It also plans to host an event at Greenbrier, which is owned by West Virginia Governor Jim Justice, who's currently a Republican candidate for Senate. It has also paid $370,000 to HHQ Ventures, including Rep. Benjamin Quayle, Republican from Arizona, to lobby on its behalf. That's according to Lobbying Disclosure Act filings. Liv's connection to Republican presidential candidates goes beyond Romo and Trump. Goodwin was contacted to work for LIVE through 50 State LLC and P2 Public Affairs, two subsidiaries of the consulting conglomerate GP3 Partners, which counts Phil Cox as one of its leaders. Cox was a top advisor to the PAC supporting Governor Ron DeSantis. The New York Times reported earlier this month that Cox would be working for LIVE, but the new filings indicate the relationship began much earlier than previously known, dating back to at least February when Goodwin struck the oral agreement with GP3 to work for LIVE. Now, according to the DOJ, Goodwin entered into an oral agreement with GP3 Partners around February 20th to provide the League with public relations and consulting. As part of the arrangement, Goodwin received 55 grand a month and would have received a one-time $125,000 bonus upon successful renewal of GP3 Partners' contract with Live. The League's launch in the U.S. has been supported by a small army of consulting firms and D.C. insiders that have included the PR giant Edelman, former White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer, and McKenna and Associates. According to the 2021 Farah filing, the CEO advisory firm Tenio reported working on Project Wedge, which ultimately became Live, for the Saudi Wealth Fund. Prior to their work consulting on Ramaswami's long-shot campaign, Goodwin served as communications advisor for former Georgia GOP Senate nominee Herschel Walker. She's a 2012 Mitt Romney alum. Henry Goodwin previously advised Bobby Jindal's 2016 presidential campaign. Is there one single Democrat working with the Saudis? I can't find one. If you find one, send it to us. Dailybeanspod.com and click on contact, which is incidentally where you can also send in your good news. All right. Last up from Patrizzo at the Daily Beast. Actually, second to last, I should say. The mother of Ashley Babbitt was arrested Tuesday after striking a counter-protester at a right-wing event outside the D.C. jail, where many of the January 6 Capitol riot defendants are being held. She's 58. She was spotted by the Daily Beast being taken into custody just after 6.45 p.m. She was surrounded by officers and handcuffed before being walked into a waiting police van. The arrest comes just one day after her alleged violent outburst was caught on film and later reported to police. A senior law enforcement official confirmed to the Daily Beast that the arrest was related to the earlier assault. I shared that video on Twitter. I'm pretty sure it went viral. 58-year-old Michelle Whithoft of Spring Valley, California, right down the street from me, was arrested and charged with simple assault and destruction of property. That's Hugh Carew, a D.C. Metropolitan Police Department public information officer, speaking to the Daily Beast. In the video, she can be seen following a counter-protester, running after her, holding a megaphone. She was holding a megaphone and a camera. It's unclear what precedes the incident, but the woman's megaphone is blaring a loud siren sound, likely annoying the crowd of right-wing protesters gathered in support of the January 6 defendants. As the protester raised a middle finger, Withoff raised her arm and struck the woman before shoving her off the sidewalk. Withoff then continues following the woman as she runs away, grabbing her megaphone and smashing it before running off. Now, Tuesday's arrest is not her first brush with the law in recent years. She was taken into custody for blocking traffic at a January 6th remembrance event earlier this year. They didn't charge her for that, but they did arrest her. So her donations must have slowed down. So she assaulted somebody else to get arrested. Also, uh, just a bit ago, the House passed the rule for the debt ceiling bill. That's a key vote that sets it up for final passage later tonight, Wednesday night. The rule passed 241 to 187, with 29 Republicans voting against it. 52 Democrats ended up voting for the rule and were instrumental to the outcome. They kept their powder dry early on, waiting to see how many Republicans would vote for it. And then Hakeem Jeffries came up and held up a green-colored card, which gave them the go-ahead for a certain amount of people to, to vote. They were waiting to see how many Republicans would. The House will now debate the debt ceiling bill and vote on the legislation later tonight. Of course, the exact timing is fluid, but if the bill passes, it will then go to the Senate, where it's also expected to pass. All right, we do have a lot of good news to get to, but we have to take a quick break. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After
0: these messages, we'll be right back.
2: Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play what the mutt, or I guess what kind of horse you have, a shout out to somebody you love, uh, an adoptable pet in your area if you don't have pod pet tax to pay, if you want to, I don't know, shout out your small business or a small business in your area, anything, anything you want to send us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. All right, first up from Dinosaur Dave, pronouns he and him. Good morning, Beans Queens your friendly neighborhood dinosaur fan here. June 1st is International Dinosaur Day. With that in mind, can you guess this dinosaur? It's from Utah. It predates its relatives, Triceratops, by almost 20 million years. It's of medium size, about four to six meters, about 13 to 20 feet in length. It has two large brow horns right above the eyes. Its frill tapers inwards as it goes up and has two large spikes out of the top. It's not a Triceratops? But that's what it looks like. Quad ceratops. <laughs> the early mid-sized uh, okay, and I'm going to say this wrong. Cerato- ceratopsian relative of triceratops had two brow horns and a frill that gets thinner as it gets taller. It's fairly well known. It's from Utah. Oh no, that's not it. This is that's the early one. This one is the Di- Diablo Ceratops, the devil horned face. It really has a spectacular fossil skull. Anyways, keep up the brilliant show. Diablo Ceratops. Ooh, it's so devil Thank you for that. Next up, Space Cat, ZZem. Here's a shit I said as a kid. My dad has an 86 silver Toyota MR2 with spoiler, no supercharger for those asking. For those that don't speak car, it's a small two-seater sports car. He got it just before my parents were married. It was always daddy's little car. And my brother and I would fight over who got to ride in it with him. He only drove it in the summer because Minnesota winters are a whole heck another thing. He still has the car and it still purrs. That's so cool. Back in the time before seatbelt laws and back when both my brother and I could fit in the front seat at the same time, I asked my dad a question about his car. What also made the car fancy, besides its adorable pop-up headlights, was its blue-tinted moonroof. As with all curious kittens, I had to know the purpose. I had to know its purpose. Is it for mooning people? I asked with a wide-eyed, innocent wonder of someone who had no idea what mooning was and the utter thrill of a of verbing a noun. <laughs> it was a long time before I understood why my dad laughed so hard. He had to tell my mom the story. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much, Space Cat. Appreciate you. Next up from Allison, you are truly queens of the beans. Just wanted to share a couple of pics of one of our cat's cupcake named by our kids when they were younger. Cupcake was a snuggle bug and she would get right up close to your ear and purr so loud. When we would take her to the vet, they would have to pinch gently so she would stop purring so they could listen to her lungs, etc. When we first got her, she kept having kitty colds and we would take her to the vet to see if there was anything we could do. Finally, the vet said, sometimes you just get a weird cat. And it made perfect sense for Cupcake. Sadly, we lost Cupcake during lockdown, but she really was the sweetest girl and would let you pet her tummy, not a trap. We adopted her from the Animal Friends Rescue Project, AFRP, in Pacific Grove, California. They do a great job getting animals from the shelters and getting them into foster care. I'll send more pictures of our other animals another time. Oh, what a sweet baby. Calico tabby. Or tortie. Thank you so much for sending that. I appreciate that so much, Allison. Beautiful baby. Next up, from Robbie B, pronouns he and him. Hello, you incredible humans. Hello. From the people that brought you a mini-doc about vegan rescue sanctuary, fluffy butt rescue, our director-founder is also a drummer in a trans-led, sick-ass sci-fi metal band called Jalen, that's J-A-E-L-Y-N, and our first live set was on Memorial Day at Animated Brewing in Coatesville, PA. We got a whole bunch of shows lined up for summer 2023, we're super fucking excited about it. Jalen on Spotify and Instagram, Bandcamp, and all the things. We love yous from Philly. Jalen, J-A-E-L-Y-N. Check them out. All right, from Sandra, pronouns she and her. Hello from Germany. Just came across some anti-DeSantis stamps I simply had to share with y'all. Would have tweeted them at you, but I've fled that hellscape when Voldemort took over. Sandra, these are so great. Disney 100 Jahre. 100 Jahre. Excuse me. I I just read the numbers in English because I'm It's just how my brain goes. Fantastic. Thank you. Anti-DeSantis Stamps, also known as Disney Stamps. Next up from Zach B. Pronouns he and him. Long time, first time. I don't often share photos, even though I take thousands of them as a side hustle, as a long time hobby. I recently shared a photo I took of my son in the subreddit of I took a picture and wasn't expecting to get all the feedback that came flooding back at me. Oh, this is a beautiful photo. It's a little boy, red shorts, I'm assuming it's a little boy, red shorts holding a tractor and looking at the real life tractor that, that they're holding. Here's the backstory. The toy tractor was my wife's father's collectible. It was passed on to her when he died many years ago. Instead of letting it sit in its box and collect dust, we decided to give it to our son. Okay, son, for his second birthday. He absolutely loves tractors. It quickly became one of his favorites. Our neighbor is a farmer. Unfortunately, his grandfather, who took care of this field, passed away in March, so he and his father are now taking a swing at running the farm themselves. We came home the other night and noticed that the tractor working in the field was exactly the same as our son's toy. We rushed out to get a few photos with him holding it and the tractor in the background. We even walked out into the field to talk to the farmer and let him know how much our son loved it. This photo is a couple of sons looking up to their grandfathers in their own special ways. Keep up the good work love seeing your media company grow into what it is today. We don't always see the amount of work that goes into creating the media you make or the photos that we take, but wanted you to know that it's appreciated. It's good work, it's helpful. I'm glad you're making it. I don't have a business to promote, but if people want a print of this photo, just go on my smug mug at Z Bowman. That's letter Z, B O W M A N, Z Bowman. com. Really, really fantastic photo. You should enter that into all the fairs seriously, that would win all the prizes at the fair. All right, that is the good news. Thank you so much for sending it in. I'll be solo again tomorrow. I, don't, I can't imagine what news is going to break after I uh, step off this microphone, but send us your good news at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been A.G. and them's the beans.